Amen. All right, we're there in Matthew chapter number one, and we've been going through a series this holiday season entitled The Christmas Spirit, and I've been preaching on the subject of the spirit of Christmas and things that are really themes of Christmas and recurring themes of Christmas. And in the series, we've talked about joy and peace and hope and goodwill. And one way that I've kind of been, what I've been doing to filter whether the subject of the sermons that I'm going to be preaching are actually part of the Christmas spirit or the theme of Christmas is as I've been uh, just traveling or as I've been going to stores or whatever during the Christmas season, I've just been paying a lot of attention to Christmas decorations. And I've been looking at the different things that are highlighted in those decorations. And these are the words that you see, joy. I mean, we've got decorations here that say joy and peace and hope and goodwill. So I've been using that to kind of gauge whether we've, I've been hitting the mark in regards to the Christmas theme or the Christmas spirit. So tonight, I want to speak on yet another word, and this is really a name, and it's a name that comes up a lot in regards to the Christmas theme, and it's definitely something that, that has to do with Christmas, and it is this word or this name, Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1 there in verse 18, of course, we have one of the passages regarding the Christmas story. And I realize that tonight we've got hot chocolate and dessert, so I'm going to do my best to not preach long. I know I say that a lot, and I fail, and I'm sorry about that, but just pray for me, and we'll try to be uh, done as quickly as, as I can, all right? Matthew 1.18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she, referring to Mary, was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to notice the emphasis that is being made in this passage. It's We're seeing here in Matthew the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, we know that in Luke chapter 2 is probably the most well-known or most famous of the Christmas passages, and we see that from the perspective of Mary. And here we have Joseph who's married to Mary, but the Bible tells us that he has not yet, uh, they've not yet came together. They, they have not consummated the marriage. And now he finds out that she's with child. So in this dream, he's told that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying. So I want you to notice that here in Matthew 1, 22, we're told that all of this, everything we've read up to this point was done, that this prophecy might be fulfilled. And Matthew's about to quote to us from a prophecy in Isaiah, and we'll go back there and look at it. Verse 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name. I want you to notice this word, Emmanuel. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now you're there in Matthew chapter one. 
Go with me if you would, and you can keep your place there in Matthew. We're going to come back to it. But go with me if you would to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 7. If you go towards the end of the Old Testament, you have these big books of the prophets known as the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Go to Isaiah chapter number 7, and I want you to notice the quote, the verse that is being quoted here in Matthew regarding this name, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is a, is, a, is a name that often does not come up until Christmas time, and because it has to do with the theme of Christmas and the story of Christmas. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see here in Isaiah... The prophet Isaiah prophesied to the fact that a virgin shall conceive. Of course, we know that's Mary and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Matthew chapter 1, we see that this is fulfilled. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the prophet saying. Now, if you would, keep your place there in Isaiah as well. Put a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly and go back to Matthew chapter 1. Keep your place in Isaiah and go back to Matthew chapter 1. Let me just quickly tonight talk to you about this subject of Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, and the theme of Christmas, because we realize that Jesus really is the reason for the season. Uh, the, what we are actually celebrating is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though I have taken the time over the last several sermons to talk about the theme and the spirit of Christmas, and we've talked about joy, and we've talked about peace, and we've talked about hope, and we've talked about goodwill, what I want to do tonight and what we will do on Sunday is focus in on the real theme of Christmas, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because there are two names that are used uh, to reference the Lord Jesus Christ uh, regarding Christmas, and both names uh, highlight a different aspect of the birth of Christ. Tonight, we're going to look at this name Emmanuel, and you'll have to come back on Sunday for the other name. Some of you may try to guess it. We'll see if you can guess it. We'll see how good you are at uh, Christmas themes. But tonight, we're going to look at this idea of Emmanuel. It's a very important name. I want you to notice just quickly that it highlights several things about the birth of Christ. Number one, and if you're taking notes tonight, or if you'd like to jot down some things, you can jot this down. The name Emmanuel speaks to the virgin birth. It's really a prophecy of the virgin birth. It, what's emphasized when you look at this passage, either in Isaiah, the original prophecy, or in Matthew 1, the fulfillment of the, pro of the prophecy, the emphasis is the birth of Christ and the fact that he was born of a virgin. Matthew 1.18, notice it again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, notice these words, before they came together. The Bible is very clear to tell us that, that Joseph and Mary had not yet consummated uh, the marriage, that she was still a virgin. Though she was married, she was still a virgin. The Bible says before they came together, she was found with child, and notice these words, of the Holy Ghost. And this idea is that it was the Holy Ghost uh, who was the one that put this child in her womb. She was found with child, not of a man but of the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 22, Matthew 1, 22. Now all this was done, we've already read this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin, and I just want you to notice what's being emphasized here, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. 
and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not. Verse 25. Again, I just want you to notice what's being emphasized here. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Notice they are married. Verse 25. And knew her not. That phrase, knew her not, is again a testament to the fact that he did not have a physical relationship with her. He had not had a physical relationship with her up to this point, verse 18, before they came together. And once he was told that what is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us in verse 25 that he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. And again, what's being emphasized here is the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that the Virgin Mary had not known a man, had not been impregnated uh, through the means of of normal uh, pregnancies, but that the Holy Ghost is the one that had put this baby in her womb. Go Keep your place there. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, look at verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, notice again, the emphasis regarding this name is this, A virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So when you see the the name Emmanuel here in the Old Testament spelled with an I, the Old Testament spelling is with an I, and then in the New Testament, Emmanuel with an E, What's being emphasized is that this child that is being born is born of a virgin. Now go to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 5, real quickly, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And when we consider this phrase, Emmanuel, and when we consider uh, what we will be talking about for the next couple of services regarding Christmas, it really has to do with the theology of Christmas and what we believe about Christmas and why Christmas is so important. And it is important because of the fact that we are celebrating the virgin birth of Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Now you might ask yourself and you might think, what's the purpose of the virgin birth? Is it just a nice story to tell during Christmas that a virgin was with child and and, and that that, that whole story where they could not find room in the inn and all of those things. It's just a, a nice way to bring the birth of Christ into this world and to dramatize it. Uh, And I would submit to you that there are reasons why, uh, of course we know this, there's always a reason why God does what He does. And there are theological reasons for the virgin birth and the importance of the virgin birth. And I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I'll just quickly uh, show you a couple of verses. Romans 5.12, the Bible says this, Wherefore, as by one man, and the one man being referenced here is the first man, Adam. We know that Adam was the first man that was created. And here in Romans, we are told, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. The Bible tells us that it was through Adam and through Eve that sin entered into the world. And here's what I want you to understand. When the Bible says here, sin entered into the world, that's exactly what it means. Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and as a result, sin, for the first time, entered into the world. But then I want you to notice this phrase. The Bible says, and death by sin. Now, the Roman Catholic Church will teach this doctrine of original sin. 
And this idea that we are all held liable for Adam's sin, and, and that is not true. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that you will be judged for your own sins, that, uh, that children will not be judged for their parents' sins, and vice versa. When it comes to Adam and when it comes to Eve, they will have to answer, and they got saved, and they have to get saved as a result of their own sin. Adam did sin, and there was something transferred down to the descendants of Adam. It was not Adam's sin, but it was Adam's sin nature. The Bible says here, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. That's one thought. Adam's sin entered into the world. But then this little phrase, and death by sin, speaks to Adam's sin nature. The fact that we were born dying. The fact that we were born not born with Adam's sin, but we were born with a nature that has sin, that is sinful. We are sinners, and death by sin, notice the Bible says, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I just want you to understand this, and it's not a big deal, but while we're talking about theology, it's just good to understand this. What was passed on was not Adam's sin. What was passed on was Adam's death. What was passed on was not Adam's sin. You and I are not going to answer for Adam's sin. But what was passed on was Adam's sin nature, which brings death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death. Not Adam's sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And it might seem like technicalities to you, but it's important to understand these things that we are not judged for Adam's sin. His sin was not passed on to us, but his sin nature was passed on to us. You will answer for your own sin, but you are a sinner because you are a descendant of Adam. Because you're a human being, because every human being is a descendant of Adam. And his sin nature was passed on to us. Now, why am I making a big deal about this? Why does it matter? Here's what the Bible tells us. That death was passed on. The sin nature which brings death was passed on to all of us as a result of our descendancy from this one man, this first man, Adam, because we are all descendants of Adam. All of our lines, the Bible says that God hath made of all, all nations of one blood. All of us go back to this one man, Adam. We are all descendants of Adam. All except for Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a descendant of Adam. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And again, without getting into too many details, let me just quickly explain, and this is important for Christmas for us to understand, that when the way that we reproduce and the way that we have descendants, the fact that there are billions of human beings on this earth has to do with the fact that God created men and women to have children in every uh, woman that is of age of having labor, there will be a cycle in which she goes through where an egg cycles through her body and that egg has the potential of being made alive. That egg in and of itself will not become alive. If it does not become alive, that egg will be discarded. But if that egg comes in contact with the seed of a man, with the blood of a man, then you will have conception, then you will have fertilization, then you will have life. I'm giving you a biblical biology lesson here. 
when the egg comes in contact with the seed of a man, then you have life. That's how every descendant of Adam has ever been born. It is through the blood of Adam. It is through the seed of Adam, which transferred to us not his sin, but his sin nature. That is how every human being throughout all history has ever been born except one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. His blood did not come from Adam. The seed did not come from Adam. You say, where did it come from? Well, we read it there in Matthew 1.24. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. His blood came from God. His blood came from heaven. He did not have the sin nature that comes from the seed of man. The death of Adam was not passed upon him because he did not have the bloodline of Adam. He was the virgin-born Son of God. You're there in Romans 5. Go to 1 Corinthians real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Let me just quickly show this to you. This is why, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Bible refers to Jesus in contrast to Adam. I just want you to see it, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. I don't have the time to read the whole passage. You can do that on your own if you'd like, but just want you to see this little phrase here. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and so it is written, notice these words, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And then the Bible says, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And that last Adam is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. Why? Because he did not come from Adam. He was equivalent to Adam in the sense that his bloodline was not given to him by another man. And of course, we know that for the Lord Jesus Christ, his bloodline was given to him by God. So we see that this name Emmanuel speaks to the virgin birth. So I just want you to understand, go back to Matthew chapter 1. When we celebrate Christmas, I want you to understand that these are not just fairy tales. These are not just little stories we tell children. I hope that you'll tell your children these stories. But they're not just stories and myths and legends. There's a reason why these things happened the way they did. There's a theology of Christmas, and a big theme of Christmas is the virgin birth of Christ. Why? Because that was not the son of Adam, but the son of God. So we see that this term Emmanuel speaks to the virgin birth. I want you to notice, secondly tonight, that the term Emmanuel speaks to something that is closely related to the virgin birth, and it is the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. And that is a theological term, if you're not familiar with it. It is a reference to the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. The word deity has to do with divinity, has to do with godhood or the Godhead. It is what God is made up of. And, and the, the term Emmanuel speaks to the deity of Christ that Jesus was not a mere man, that Jesus was not a prophet merely. He was a prophet, but he was not only a prophet. He was a teacher, but he was not only a teacher. He was a man, but he was not only a man. He was the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew one twenty three. look at it. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What's emphasized when you look at this name Emmanuel is the virgin birth. But along with that is also emphasized, notice the last part of verse 23, Emmanuel, so what does that mean? Well, the Bible is its own dictionary. 
You don't need a commentary. It comments on itself. Emmanuel, notice which being interpreted is. Here's what the word means. Emmanuel, what does it mean? It means God with us. Now, why would you name a child God with us? I'll give you a hint. Because that child was God with us. It is a testimony to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's quickly just run some, some verses real fast if we can. Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can find the T-books. They're all clustered together towards the end of the New Testament. You got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. This is a theme of Scripture, and it is a theme of Christmas, the deity of Christ. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Notice these words. God was manifest in the flesh. That is the Christmas story. So what is the Christmas story about? It's this. God was manifest in the flesh. That God was born of a virgin. And that child was God with us. Emmanuel, the deity of Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. By the way, this verse is about, 1 Timothy 3.16, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, Preached unto the Gentiles. Who was preached unto the Gentiles? Jesus. Believed on in the world. Who has been believed on in the world? Who's been believed on in this church? Jesus. Received up into glory. Who ascended up into glory? Jesus. So we know that Jesus was the one preached unto the Gentiles. We know that Jesus was the one that was believed on in the world. We know that Jesus was the one that was received up into glory. And it is Jesus who is God which was manifest in the flesh. And you say, why are you making a big deal about this as a Baptist church? Look, I, I understand it's a Baptist church, and I hope everybody here believes in the deity of Christ, but there are lots of people that don't. There are major religions that don't. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, Scientologists, all these religions do not believe in the deity of Christ. They'll all say that Jesus was a good man and a good person, They'll, but they, won't, they will not acknowledge him as God in the flesh. But the Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh. Go to Colossians, if you would, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians 2, if you're there in 1 Timothy, if you go backwards, you'll go past 2 Thessalonians, past 1 Thessalonians into Colossians. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians 2, 8, the Bible says this, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And here's what, what Paul is warning the church in Colossae. He's saying, be careful about, you know, God is a logical God. God says in Isaiah, let us reason together. Everything in the Bible is reasonable. It's logical. It makes sense. But be careful about allowing the world's foolish wisdom to try to explain away the things the Bible teaches regarding theology. He says, don't let anybody spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Verse 9, that is the context in which he makes the next, the next statement. He says, for in him, in the context of this passage, the him there is Christ. It's very clear if you take the time to read the passage. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is a verse regarding the deity of Christ. The Bible says that in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all. You see that word all? All the fullness 
of the Godhead bodily. The Bible teaches that all of God dwelt in Jesus. Jesus was all God, and Jesus was all of God. He was God in the flesh. Go, to, go back to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at another verse real quickly. In Isaiah, that is a Christmas verse because, of the, because it is a prophecy of the birth of Christ. Isaiah chapter 9. And this is a verse that is it's controversial with some people. And it's a verse that sometimes people try to avoid because of their, their theology or their philosophy or the way they explain their theology. But, you know, let me, I've always taken the position, if, if my doctrine makes me shy away from a verse, then there's something wrong with my doctrine. Because there's nothing wrong with the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible says this, For unto us a child is born. This is a reference to the birth of Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Now we already saw in Isaiah that he's called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Here's other names or other ways that Jesus, this child, could be called. Wonderful, and I would surely say that's Jesus. Counselor, notice this, the mighty God. Why would you, unto us a child is born, and you could call the child the mighty God. Why would you call him that? Because he is the mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, the reason that sometimes people are, are a little timid with this verse is because you've got the oneness Pentecostal charismatic crowd that likes to take this verse and use it to preach oneness. We don't believe in oneness in this church. We never have. We've always believed in the Trinity. We've always believed that God is made up of three persons. And we know that the three persons are, the, uh, are three distinct individuals. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now we believe that. The Trinity is that there are three separate and distinct persons. But those three persons, here's the Trinity, make up one God. There's only one God. There's not three gods that make up a team called God. It's God who is made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not preaching on the Trinity, and I'm not preaching on oneness. Let me just say this. There is verse after verse after verse after verse all throughout the Bible that makes a very distinct and clear difference between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this verse is not teaching that Jesus is the Father in the sense that He is the person of the Father. But people will sometimes shy away from this verse because they're like, uh, you know, that sounds kind of odd. Well, let's look at some other verses that sound very similar to this. John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you say, well, what is this verse teaching? And here's what I want you to understand. We believe in the Trinity. That God, the, God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Along with that belief that there are three members, separate, distinct, eternal, co-equal members of the Godhead, none was created. They've all existed from everlasting, from eternity past. Along with that belief, we believe that each member of the Godhead is not partially God or is not part of God. But we believe that each member of the Godhead is all God and all of God. 
And you might hear me say that and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But please understand this. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For here's the truth. In him truly dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So you might think like, well, logically, reasonably, that doesn't make sense. Let me tell you something. There's lots of things that God understands that you and I do not understand. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our way. John 10.30. Notice what Jesus says. John 10.30. He says, I and my Father are one. There's another verse that the oneness crowd likes to take. But look, I'm not going to let the oneness crowd take this verse from us. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones against to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. When Jesus said, I and my Father are one, that's, that's a lot like 1 John 5, 7. These three are one. And again, please understand, the meaning here is not that Jesus is the Father, because that's what the oneness crowd tries to say, that Jesus is the person of the Father. We don't believe that. We've never believed that. But Jesus is the same God that the Father is. Jesus is the same God that the Holy Spirit is because there's only one God that exists in three persons. I and my Father are one, meaning Jesus is saying, hey, there's one God, and we're it. Me and my Father and the Holy Spirit, we're God. I and my Father are one. Go to John 14. John 14. John 14 and verse 8. And, and look, the reason I'm, ma- I'm bringing this up and making a big deal about this is because I, you need to understand this so I can just make a Christmas point and we'll be done, all right? John 14, look at verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now, you say, well, how can that be? Well, first of all, we are told about Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He says, he that hath seen me and seen the Father, how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Notice what he says in verse 10, because he explains what he says in verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? That is the key to understanding these verses. When Jesus says, I and my Father are one, he's not saying we're the same person. He's saying we're the same God. Isaiah 96 is true because it is a verse about deity. This child that was born is the same God as, any, as, as, as God the Father, who could be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He says, He that has sent me has, sent, uh, has seen the Father. Notice uh, uh, John 14, 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that said, hath seen me, hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Here's the key, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? This is the same idea that's being taught in Colossians 2, 9, when it says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The point is this, that though the three are obviously separate members, they are not individually. It's not like Jesus is one-third of God, and the Father is one-third of God, and the Holy Spirit is one-third of God. They are three separate members, but the Holy Spirit 
is God. He's all of God. God the Father is all God. He's all of God. Jesus is all God. And, and look, I say it that way to, to make this point, because some people say like, well, he's 50% God, he's 50% man. No, no, no. He's 100% God. And he's 100% man. You say, well, I don't understand that. You don't need to understand that. You need to just believe it. He is all God, and he is all of God. You say, is he the Father? No, but the Father was in him. That I am in the Father, and the Father in me. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The point that I'm making is this. It wasn't that in Jesus dwelleth one-third of the Godhead bodily. No, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 is the last verse I'm going to show you will be done. 2 Corinthians 5.19 is my favorite Christmas verse. And what's interesting about 2 Corinthians 5.19 is that though it's my favorite Christmas verse, I think I read this verse or quote this verse every Christmas season here at Verity Baptist Church. Though it is my favorite Christmas verse, the interesting thing is it's not a Christmas verse at all. It's just a random verse that has nothing to do with Christmas. Like some of you like to have Christmas music in July. You know, I like to have Christmas verses that don't, that aren't, don't come from the typical Christmas passages. But when you understand this, that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God, the second member of the Godhead was made flesh, and in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was all God, and He was all of God. He's not God the Father, the person of the, of the Father. He's not the person of the Holy Spirit, but He is all God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 makes a lot of sense when you realize and you put it in the context of Christmas. The Bible says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Now, people have a problem with this verse, too, because they'll say, well, how is God in Christ? I thought Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He's the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, God the Son. Oftentimes, when the Bible just uses the term God, it's a reference to the first member of the Godhead, God the Father. And here it says that God, for clarification, you, in your mind, you could think that God the Father was in Christ. He's not, he's not Christ, but he was in Christ. How was he in Christ? Because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It was God who became flesh. Now, don't, let this take, don't take this too far, because people like to take these things too far, and then they'll say, well, then the Father is the one who died on the cross. No, no, everything in the Bible is in there for a reason, and there is a reason why Jesus emphasizes the fact on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because there was a moment at the cross when there was a separation that has never happened and never will happen again between the Father and the Son. It is the Son, we learned this from all the way from Abraham, it is the Son who is sacrificed for the sins of mankind. There was a separation at the cross between the, the, the Godhead, between the Father and the Son. The Father did not die on the cross. But here we're told that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And if you want to put Christmas into one verse, into one statement, that's it. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 
Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for these passages of scripture. Lord, help us to understand these themes of Christmas, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, that God was manifest in the flesh, that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Help us remember that this is what Christmas is about. Not gifts, nothing wrong with gifts, but not a lot of these things that we emphasize are not the emphasis. It's not the gifts that we're going to give each other. It's the gift that God gave all of us. And it's Jesus Christ and his salvation. We thank you for it, that the Father would send his Son to die on the cross for our sins, that God would become flesh and dwell among us, and that we would behold his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have uh, Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. And I just want to remind you that, of course, we have our uh, cookie fellowship tonight, our Christmas